crime author Candace Fox here with a book recommendation to keep you company this winter, The Safe Place by Anna Downs. Struggling actress Emily Proudman is broke, unhappy and failing at life in London when she's offered a job as an au pair for a wealthy family on their luxurious property in France. At first things seem picture perfect, but soon a dream come true becomes more like a prison from which none of them can escape. Like Emily, Anna Downs worked as a struggling actress in London before making a new life in Australia. Feeling claustrophobic at home with the newborn, she felt disconnected from the creative buzz of London, so she started writing. The result is an outstanding thriller set for publication around the world. The Safe Place, out now in print, e and audiobook. In a new level of professionalism for this podcast, today we're wearing cans, cans. as they say in the business. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Were there, were there always cans in the studio and we just didn't put them on? I think there were, and I just never really thought about it. And then uh, now, now I'm hearing us in broadcast quality in my head. Wow. Does it make you feel more knowledgeable and significant? It makes me How feel... How come you've got a cup of tea and I haven't? How'd that happen? Because I get here a little bit before you, <sighs> so I had the opportunity to make myself one. Um, it makes me feel more like I need to watch the quality of my voice and not end up like, oh, Hamilton, it's so fantastic, <laughs> as I would Well, it's a matter of time before you <laughs> reach that. <laughs> um, Hang on, let me do one more mellifluous laugh. <laughs> Do it. Just do the whole thing in your John Law's voice, I reckon. <laughs> Hi, little lady. <laughs> do you remember when we came out of uni in the early 1990s, everybody who did, well, you did law, actually, you didn't do I journalism, did. but mm. all of us tried to talk a lot like this to sound more like Jan Event. Oh, God, right. So because she's a woman whose voice has influenced a, a generation. generation of... And did at some point, because you now don't sound like Jan Event. No, no I hopefully sound like myself. So do you think that at some point you just thought, Sales, you are not young again. Stop sounding like <laughs> such an idiot. Because I, I think there's yeah. still a bit of like yarn event going on in commercial oh, yeah. television. Oh, for sure. There's a there's a first very, at ten, and there's a very you know well we all know it. There's a very there's a very cliched way of delivering news reports. There is that people tend to fall into. I try very hard to talk like myself and to sound conversational, but probably a bit slower and less excitable than I am mm. in reality. Mm. Because if I spoke like I do in reality on 7.30, I'd be like, tonight, we've got this really great story about... <laughs> <laughs> the other thing about news voice is that it just sometimes without explanation just drops really significant building blocks of sentences. You oh, know, yes. Horror tonight. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's a, Cars there's a, banked up. Yeah, yeah there's a just, lack of also um, sometimes verbs or just people talking in, yeah, as yeah. you say, incomplete sentences. Yeah. Well, now we've thoroughly pissed off all our professional <laughs> colleagues. You're welcome. <laughs> guys rock. You guys. Um, rock. What's been happening? I don't know. What? I've just totally lost my thread. <laughs> Um, well, I know you've read the John Bolton book. Yes, I've not read it. I interviewed John Bolton, Trump's former national security advisor. Where um, is he on the crazy scale, do you think? Oh, getting there, I reckon. I mean, anyone that goes to voluntarily work in the Trump White House, you've got to wonder. Well, I don't know. Sometimes I think there's kind of like there is a sane people who think, oh, my God. It's sort of a bit like that movie Independence Day where they've got to save the world from the yeah. aliens. It's just like... Yeah. What you need is the Bill, what's his name? Bill, Bill, what's that actor? 
Uh, oh, Pullman. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Pullman, yeah. Like, Bill, Bill Pullman in there oh, just Yeah, going. doing it. Um, look, John Bolton is, he, he does have a reputation in Washington for being somewhat unique because he's a very, he's a conservative, but he's right down the sort of hawkish, far mm. right end mm. of conservatism. So even, say, during the... Um, Bush, George W. Bush administration, Bush 43, which was the 9-11 era and the Iraq war, mm. you, the administration was sort just of looks like split. a period of epic level-headedness now, doesn't <laughs> totally. it? Totally. <laughs> the administration was split between, I guess, the more moderate voices and mm. the more hawkish. The Condi Rice and yeah, Colin Powell. That's right, versus, and the Rich Armitage yeah. versus Donald Rumsfeld yeah. and Dick Cheney and the people that were pushing harder for, um, you know, the US military incursion mm. into Iraq. John Bolton was like, hey, let's not stop at Iraq. Let's let's go Iraq. Like, so he's like, <laughs> a real, you know, sort yeah. of extreme hawkish voice. And in fact, amazingly, in the John Bolton book, which is called The Room Where It Happened, implying <laughs> that he's <laughs> somewhat of a Hamilton fan. Actually, there's a line in it as well where he says something like, you know, because I was not throwing away my shot, blah, blah, blah. So, oh, my God, that is so lame, John Bolton. Um, Lin-Manuel put out a fairly unhappy tweet. That's right. He said something, there was something in reference about like, oh, yeah, steal somebody else's intellectual property for the book title when you should have just given evidence to the committee. <laughs> Snap it off! <laughs> so Bolton says, you know, among the many things that could cause you to want to resign from the Trump White House, including the fact that he says that, you know, the story for which uh, Trump was impeached, which was that he basically wanted the U- leader of the of Ukraine yeah. to do a political favour, digging mm. up some dirt on Joe Biden's mm-hmm. son's business mm. over there in return for US military mm. aid. Like just Pretty straight up, like, you know, nothing controversial there. So mm-hmm. Bolton confirms that We've that all happened. done the same lately. <laughs> Bolton confirms that that happened and then says, oh, from far as I, I did, wasn't even that notable to me because it was just another brick in the wall. I'd seen it happen uh, with China. I'd seen it happen yeah. with Turkey, like it was a pattern of of behaviour, um, those weren't the things that caused him to want to resign. What caused him to want to resign was that he was advocating a drone strike in Iran and Trump pulled the pin on it because there were going to be too many civi- civilian casualties. And Bolton said that it was the weakest decision he'd ever seen taken okay. by the president that caused him to want to resign. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but look, it, it's interesting. I, I think all it does is adds to what we basically already know about Trump, which is that he is incredibly loose, does not adhere to... Uh, conventional um, standards of what we would expect from our uh, leadership. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. Wow. Yep. The New York Times had a very entertaining but excoriating review of the Bolton book where they described him as a cross between Ned Flanders and Yosemite Sam. (laughs) (laughs) I love Yosemite Sam. But, yeah, probably not the person you necessarily want in that gig. Mm. Um. I've, like, I've read a heap of those um, inside the Trump administration books. I read the one by Anonymous, you know, the one that wrote the oh, yeah. um, the column in the New York Times that was incredibly oh, controversial yeah. last year of this sort of, this guy, oh, I say guy, I sort of assume it's a man, um, but I don't know why that is. Um, but it, and it, it presents the argument from the, we're sticking around to try and moderate, yeah. you know, this guy's, uh, behaviour school. And I mean, you know, there are divided opinions on that. Yeah. Because um, obviously this person remains anonymous and is writing all this stuff and has now published a book, which is pretty readable. I mean, it's alarming. Um, 
and is sticking around to try and, you know, make sure there's somebody level-headed left in the building. A lot of people who've gone for that approach have found, including Bolton, that uh, it's not possible. It's, yeah. So, But what's the alternative, I guess? I don't know. I um, read this absolutely um, just shocking um, and fantastic, actually, article in The Atlantic uh, a week or two back. Um, by a writer called Anne Applebaum. Mm. And the t- it's a long read, but it's incredibly gripping. Um, and it's full on, right? Like, so the article is entitled, History Will Judge the Complicit. Mm-hmm. And she looks at um, the behaviour. She chooses two Republicans, uh, Lindsey Graham and Mitt Romney. And she kind of goes through their history. And, you know, Lindsey Graham is this sort of maverick, um, character Republican, but has you know been all over the place ideologically, mm. historically, sort of war hero type, um, and Mitt Romney, who's a kind of you know venture capitalist consultant, kind of complete mercantile background, and she says, um, you know, of these two men, both of whom um, before his election said of Trump that he was. Um, a shocking choice as, as Republican nominee and as president, that he was um, uh, unreliable, that he was had no moral compass and so on. And she says, well, look, of these two men, who would you expect to stick to their ideals once Trump had won the presidency? She said, obviously, Romney, because he's, you know, he doesn't sort of stand for anything in particular. And mm. whereas... Um, uh, you know, Graham is more of a maverick. You'd think that he'd sort of stick to his principles and um, with his military background and so on. But then she maps out what each of those men has done mm. since Trump was elected. And she sort of, she broadens it out then to a historical context of how people have behaved around, well, dictators is what um, is the term that she kind of uh, settles on. And it's, yeah, it is really a fascinating read in terms of just like how people are going to be remembered over this period. Yeah. And I guess there is a sort of slippery slope, right, where Trump arrives in the White House and there's all these people going, right, okay, let's, you know, get in there and try and moderate this individual's behaviour and let's try and preserve the elements of the American identity and political structure as we can. And then it gets crazier and crazier and crazier and then maybe it seems more implicitly imperative that you be in there. I don't Mm. know. It's interesting because... So in um, foreign policy, there's there's a view that, you know, self-interest sort of will always triumph and people will mm. act in their own, you know, country's mm. most self-interest. And I think, you know, you can apply that to individual behaviour. Sure, yeah. In the case of Romney and Graham, I mean, I'd be curious to know where does she come down on this? Because to me, yes, Romney has stood up and been more vocal and, and you know, stood up in the Senate on the Ukraine story and yeah. whatnot and, and was condemnatory. But... Mitt Romney, firstly, is a bisquillionaire, mm-hmm. so he's not really, you know, dependent. He doesn't need that Senate job for his livelihood. Yeah. doesn't matter if he loses yeah. it. Um, and also, he's had a shot at running for president. He's not trying to protect some sort of base to have another go that we know yeah. of. Whereas Lindsey Graham, presumably, is trying to, I assume, is trying to shore up his re-election chances, I guess right? so, right? Like, and this, I mean, this is actually a question that Anne Applebaum, the writer in this Atlantic piece, actually poses. And she draws the comparison, actually, she draws two um, historical examples from um, uh, the divided Germany. She looks at um, 
um, um, communist young leaders in East Germany and how they behaved as they became aware of the horrors of the regime, whether they both... Um, she chose one that kind of then turned against the regime and one that stayed and prospered. And she kind of draws that comparison. And I think... Um, and she says of all of these men um, in the States, she says, well, look, none of them is facing execution. None of them is facing, you know, a danger to their families, that their families will be killed if they speak out. Their self-preservation mechanism is all about just preferment and um, and professional um, progress. It's not about, you know, God, my family's going to end up in the salt mines, you know. Yeah, right. So it's, yeah. Anyway, look, I, I really recommend it. It's such an interesting and, yeah, quite chilling article really hey while we're on american politics yes. um, i finished rodham that you recommended oh. um if i absolutely loved it and could not put it down yeah i'm hearing uh, that from a bunch of people who are reading it it's very very gripping but a, few, a couple of friends that i um know who are also keen students of american politics and one in particular very big fan of hillary clinton um didn't really like it really so yeah my friend brenda whose taste and mine usually align really closely didn't love it and she said to me um i found it a bit icky i was disappointed that she didn't explore the camp campaign and the victory more um she didn't like the angle of trump sort of helping out hillary you know Mm. in the end and and you know that they sort of had this Transactional, I guess, sort mm. of. That did ha- that did on. happen though in um, Hillary Clinton's Senate race. He was kind of a supporter of hers, as I recall, like early on, wasn't he? Oh, I can't remember now. Because he was, because I mean, he was a registered Democrat there for a while. Trump. He's been all over. Yeah, the, he has. All over the shop. But he but- did. He did support um, Clinton's campaign for the Senate at some point, either just sort of fleetingly, or I can't remember if he was a donor, but he was. But I didn't mind that it ended and didn't really explore the Clinton presidency because I felt like um, at at the point at which, oh, I'm sort of, it's a spoiler alert really, isn't it? (laughs) Turn it off now. (laughs) If if you plan to read Rodham. um, uh, Once, okay, so I'm about to do a spoiler. Fast forward like two minutes if you need to. Um, By that time I'll be speaking, I'll be much more interested. (laughs) At the point at which it became the presidency, which is the very last maybe 15 pages, Mm. We were so heavily in fantasy land, fairy tale yeah. land by then, including yeah. the boyfriend that she had who used to yeah. set his alarm for 15 minutes every day before she woke up. So the first thing she could see when she woke up was a little message of love from her boyfriend. Betcha Bill never did that. Um, and I just, it was sort of written heavily to be a fairy tale, and that's totally. how it felt. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, I was bawling by the end of it. I was bawling by the end of it too, and I was very surprised by that because, like Brenda, I thought that the premise was icky. Like, I just thought, how right. do you pull? this off as a novel like you know it feels like an invasion the idea feels like an invasion and like there's explicit sort of sex stuff in there and you know um but I really had left all that long behind by about like you know a third of the way through and I think and even by the end of it I thought um as I think I've said to you before that even if I were Hillary Clinton I'd be glad that that book had been written because it actually it just because it's a novel and because it's told by a third party it just throws into relief the epic unfairness of the things that happened to that woman like her mm. crime was to be 
incredibly well prepared and competent for just about every kind of thing that the presidency could throw at you. And she's lost to this guy who's proven himself to be just massively unprepared for vast chunks of it uh, and uh, whose uh, personal failings were overlooked to an exponential degree. You know, like she's such a sort of boring person, really. Her other failing, of course, being to fall in love with a dude who was a bit of a handful. Yeah, (laughs) tough dog to keep on the porch. Yeah, so, and and I must say that because I was reading it during the lockdown where you're just watching this sort of explosion of fatalities in the United States and, you know, the point at which that health system has been challenged and absolutely fails, you know, I mean... Mm. To just think that they could have had a different person in charge, I guess. Um, yeah. It was a real, um, just, yeah. I found it really affecting. Same, yep. And I, I just, I could not put it down. I yeah. was reading it on a uh, little weekend away and I was just yeah. like, oh, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. It was great. And that's not a partisan remark, by the way, either. I just think, you know, if you're going for a political lead, you should always go for people who are good at what they do. <laughs> Like I just like I understand the whole you know blow the lot up mentality, but I think that the last few months have really just demonstrated, wow, how quickly um, institutions can crumble. Well, Bolton was saying in his post book interviews that he thinks America may not recover from a second Trump term. (sighs) Yeah. Anyway, we'll see. Righto. Well, that's cheering. Anything cheering um, to talk about? Yeah. Listen, um, you know how I've been on a bit of a podcast slump during the lockdown, and I don't know why that is. Like, I've been reading yeah, heaps more. To a lot of pods. I know, yeah. and I went through a real bump earlier in the year where I was just like, remember, I'd like turn up here and be like, oh. yeah. Anyway, oh. the seventh of the podcasts <laughs> yes, that I've totally. been, yeah. you know, um, I do recall. and um, you know, like I absolutely smashed through the rabbit hole, which I continue to recommend as just one of the most eye-opening and um, just concerning but also revelatory um, pieces of podcast um, output um, of late. I've found another one that's terrific and it it has just lobbed its on Audible um, and it's called Debutante. It's made by Nakia Louie and Miranda Tapsell. Now I admire them both and would um, listen to anything that they did. They have had a long-standing podcast called Pretty for an Aboriginal, which is great um, and definitely worth a listen um, but this one is, oh, it's it's got everything that a really good podcast needs, I reckon. It's totally original. Like, So it's a, an analysis of an exploration of the history of debutante balls right. um, in Australia and in the UK. Um, and it sounds like a, such a random thing for that pair to be investigating, but it turns out... And you, this pops up pretty early on. Nakia Louie runs an Aboriginal debutante ball with her mum. Wow. <laughs> did you know that? No. I did not know that. In Western Sydney. Yeah. Wow. So, A, then you get to meet Nakia's mum, who is just like ace. Yeah. Just like she's quality. Anyway, so you're kind of halfway through the kind of what? You what? You do the what? And then they're going into this sort of history of debutante balls in Australia and how this kind of tradition has been co-opted by young Indigenous women, right? And they've got this incredible... um, The the series sort of starts setting the scene at Australia's first Indigenous debutante ball, which happened in 1967 Mm. at the Sydney Town Hall. 
And they've got John Gorton there, the Prime Minister, and like there's all this audio, like interviewing these young women who were there. And, and why did it happen? Well, it was right after the referendum, right? right. So, um, and there was this kind of like, okay, well, let's have this big ball. And it's just, anyway, I just, every single minute of it is revelatory. Like it's mm. just really interesting because I would have thought that, you know, the debutante ball as such a kind of like elite white tradition would be the last thing you'd kind of like think, let's just co-opt that. <laughs> like, but anyway, Nakia ends up going over to um, <laughs> over to the UK and she's, um, <laughs> she, it's very funny. She's, she kind of attends a debutante ball there and meets a deportment coach oh. and like goes and has like tea at the Ritz and then she, well, there's no easy way to say this. She accidentally belches on him. Oh. <laughs> anyway, but the main thing about it is um, is that these two have this fantastic friendship. Like it's really, and it sort of fires the whole um, the whole series. You know, just this sort of incredible warmth and humour between the two of them, right. and they're kind of just unpacking this historical stuff, which they kind of. I mean, some of it's incredibly grim, but they just they just bring their families and their friendship to it and it's just like it's absolutely addictive so speaking of um families and friendship in in awesome podcast form have you listened to so yotamarang adalengi has a podcast called simple pleasures yeah now i haven't listened to it why i mean you'd think i'd be like all over that well, but i haven't the premise of it is, yeah same um the premise of it is the like his latest cookbook, Simple, mm. and he has a conversation with somebody and he cooks them something out of Simple. Anyway, he invites around Lin-Manuel Miranda Get and his wife, Vanessa Nadal, and they have the most... It was... I can't even Did you even... You. How did you even handle that? I just went for a walk and listened to it. It felt like I was at the most delightful dinner party with the world's most charming and interesting people. Oh, my gosh. Neither of whom had the kind of ego where they feel like they need to hog the spotlight. Like, they're it was actually, just an interesting they're conversation. They weirdly similar, I think. Well, they had there were some similarities, I thought, um, from and also from uh, Lin-Manuel's wife, who I think her family background was Austrian or something. It was a right. com- combo of things, Austrian Have you seen else. the wedding video? Yeah. 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 Um, I just if, if you were listening to this, just pause and search up. Lin-Manuel Miranda wedding video is the most <laughs> joyous kind of five minutes of YouTube you'll ever see. Well, they're talking about their family backgrounds and their cultural backgrounds and the sort of cooking and food that they grew up with and their sort of that kind of thing. Right, so they both would have come from like quite yeah. blended yeah, kind of... Yeah, and different yeah. sort of... but So very different um, cultural backgrounds mm. but similar experience in mm. that you have that background. And so, yeah, they just have the most charming conversation. It's well, just, they would. It's, like, they'd be number one and two most charming people in the world, wouldn't they? And, and just... Hello, like, a very a, talented. Incredible for people who are so accomplished in their fields to have so little ego. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just really amazing. Well, I mean, you've interviewed Lin-Manuel. I've interviewed Yotam. <laughs> I know you've interviewed both of them. <laughs> but, you know, that is something that um, struck me in your interview with LMM um, and our encounter with the mighty Yotam, that just no sense of kind of 
oh, I'm doing you a massive favour by being here. Make no, this quick and or no, like that. no sense. Occasionally, you meet um, people who are famous, who not even occasionally, like quite often, who they're used to being the centre of attention yeah. on a table, and yeah. so they sort of perform yeah. because they're used to it. And and often, you know, frankly, people at the table Expect want that. that. Yeah. Um, and they pepper them with questions, and so they the conversation becomes focused around yeah. that person. Um, and so that person, I think, feels pressure to deliver. Right, so they've never had a relaxing dinner out in their whole life. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, but on, in this occasion, it was just a genuine back and forth, normal kind of conversation. And so you just, it was a really pleasure to listen to it because you just felt like, you know, you were there, but you didn't want to interrupt because what they were talking about was so interesting and lovely. And so yeah. you just were listening. So it's great. Oh, it sounds like a good cooking totally podcast. Totally recommend it. It's really um, I just actually forgot to say that um, one of the strange things about listening to that um, debutante podcast was that I was simultaneously also reading Miranda Tapsell's memoir. Oh, yeah. What's that like? <laughs> it's just like, I just, I felt a bit like, am I, it's a bit stalky that I'm reading the book <laughs> and listening to the podcast at the same time. It's great. Like, yeah. it's such a, um, anyway, I, I think. Um, What's it called? You know, if you, it's called Top End Girl. And it's kind of a little bit about her making the film Top End Wedding. Oh, Did yeah. you ever see that? No. Oh, it's it's an absolutely excellent movie very funny it's like a romantic comedy like this girl is clearly a rom-com tragic like if I right. ever introduced her to Jeremy they'd just be like anyway, Notting Hill <laughs> um, and also she's got very upsetting taste in music um, which is um, revealed over the course of the book but so she kind of got engaged but then at the same time was filming this um, movie about a kind of wedding escapade rom-com thing anyway so the book is but the but the fascinating part of the book I reckon is about her um, arrival to Sydney to study at NIDA and because she you know auditioned one year didn't get in and then auditioned the next year and she was um, in Darwin when she auditioned came to Sydney and you know had been to Sydney a bit before um, but was like okay I'm from Darwin and straight away I think felt super in the minority because as an Indigenous woman, she's like, oh, hello, oh, yes. Yep. There's actually a piece about NIDA the other day and right. the history yeah. of yeah. lack of um, handling people from diverse backgrounds. Work. Right, and her, I mean, look, she's um, she writes about that in a really interesting way, right? And it's about, because quite early on when she got there, someone said to her, oh, well, you'll never struggle for roles because, you know, you're Indigenous. And... Um, she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It has been a sweet ride. You're right. <laughs> but then, like, and this, I'd never really, um, you know, thought about this, but she then talks about getting different roles. And, I mean, she was in Secret River um, at the STC production and there's this incredibly confronting scene in that um, in that. Um, play where her character is kept naked, chained by the neck to this, you know, um, awful dude's, you know, to a tree or something. Like it's the most horrifically sexually exploitative um, scene. It's really confronting. But she talked about the sorts of roles that she got as a young actor and how often they were performing just intense indigenous trauma uh -huh. and yet so so she's in, in this play and everyone's like you know knock off yeah let's go for a beer she's like right. oh i just finished being chained up by my neck actually so, <laughs> like, so she just writes really well about the intersection of your own culture and kind of ingrained generational trauma with then having to 
perform that and often to explain it and often to be to feel like you're the cultural kind of attache or right. consultant on these productions as well like I was so, wondering about that for Hannah Gadsby yeah. when she did Nanette to have to yeah, you're basically yeah. like reliving every single night some of the worst moments of your life right I just yeah. wonder how you come off stage and sort of just I don't know get yourself together I think yeah unbelievably draining. Yeah, and I think because you often think, well, actors just, you know, you just turn it on and away you go. But, like, there's yeah. just so many layers of emotional um, cost to that. Mm. And particularly, you know, if you have a role where you're sort of feeling like you've got to educate other people or mm. in um, Tapsell's case where, like, if you're the only black character, you feel like you're letting your community down if the production's depiction of you isn't kind of Mm. up to scratch or respectful. Mm. So it's just this kind of added workload, which is just prodigious. Anyway, I just found that so interesting. And um, anyway, look, she's just a gorgeous person. The book's beautiful and she's like funny and, you know, um, it's just, yeah, I, I think she's a bit of a joy. I've never really met her. I've had a couple of messages exchanged with her, but like she just, yeah. And the, the two of them, I reckon their friendship is um, a really uh, powerful, um, productive force. Yeah. Cool. Um, ready again? I think I know you're looking at the clock because I've run you down, lady. I am. I'm I've run you down. We've got an appointment that we've got to make. So. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, I reckon. Hey, we've burned through a few things. Yes, I reckon so, we've yeah. got a few pointers there. So, oh, um, so. forge out and um, and watch these things, people, because um, uh, we've been busier than we thought. It turns out. <laughs> See ya. See ya. Now, just a, a quick word. Um, as you know, Chapter 10 Looks 3, been around for five years. Uh, just it's a burgeoning sinkhole of sort of semi-useful enterprises. <laughs> it's spawned a Facebook group, newsletter. Um, Instagram, Twitter, this podcast that you're listening to. You can yeah. go and sign up for the newsletter if you want, chat10looks3.com. Oh, well done. <laughs> KPIs. Um, but we've also got a subscriber button too. Disappointingly, it doesn't get you anything else extra because we want to keep everything available and free for everybody. The newsletter, the um, Facebook group and podcast and everything. Um, if you've got a few shiny coppers to spare, and obviously not everybody does, um, head to our website, www.chat10looks3.com, and there's a little subscribe button. Well, there's not actually. You have to click on menu. Oh, sh- okay. When you click on the menu, Details. it comes down, and then it says subscribe in there. Thank God I was here to I know. rescue that yeah. promotion. So, yeah, and visit if you do our menu. Subscribe, if you'd like um, to. I'll give you Lisa's home address. And, <laughs> if you... uh, you can pop round and, um, you know, jump on her in the shower. You're no, welcome. God, that's actually terrible. We can't say that. <laughs>